Billions of light years from Earth exists a planet known as Xenon. Though the inhabitants of this galaxy have lived in peace and prosperity for centuries, the Xenonian government has become corrupt and unresponsive. Young Xenonians grow rebellious and hostile, and the sun, on which the planet relies for all life, is dying. When the governing body of Xenon becomes aware of these facts, steps are taken almost immediately, something quite unprecedented in government, but after coming to an even more unprecedented unanimous conclusion that they don't all want to die, the most gifted minds on the planet, along with the rest of their bodies, are tasked with saving the world. And onto this fateful stage steps a man, you, Roger Wilco. No, not to save the world, you're just the janitor and you're here to fix the chicken soup machine. Those brave scientists will need all the sustenance they can get as they figure out how to save your worthless hide from extinction. Unfortunately for them, you happen to be the worst janitor in the entire galaxy. Despite the absence of their favorite lunchtime treat, the scientists come up with a plan. The result is a radical design for a device capable of turning a lifeless planet into a raging ball of fire. The Star Generator! The development team is currently stationed aboard the Space Lab Arcada, and has been sent to the outer edge of the galaxy to test the device. You are currently commissioned as a member of the crew, third technician, the lowest rank on the ship, and you probably have been sacked already with the Arcada not millions of kilometers from home. However, news of the Arcada's mission soon reaches the ears of the Sarians, a cruel race of space thugs who cruise the galaxy wreaking havoc on its people. The Sarians launch a daring attack on the Arcada. With the Star Generator in their possession, they would have the ultimate weapon with which to terrorize the universe. As your adventure begins, you are currently conducting one of your famous on-shift naps in the storage closet. You arise slightly annoyed at the commotion which has awakened you. The Arcada is under attack. You hear laser blasts mingled with screams of your crewmates. Once the noise has subsided, you muster the courage to peek out of the closet. Your eyes fall upon a grisly sight. Several of your fellow crew members' bodies lie strewn about the ships, their posture indicating a total unwillingness to get up and keep living. Although you are not used to doing a lot of thinking, your brain kicks into high gear. What a mess! Blood's hell to shift! You briefly consider taking another nap when it finally occurs to you that you might be in danger as well. And this will never do. Join us as we don our gravity boots and set a course for adventure in Space Quest 1, the, the Sarian Encounter! Hello everyone and welcome to the show. My name is Jim, aka Mr. Spatula. And I'm Steve, aka the Chap in the Hat. Hello there. Hello. And together we are the Graphic Adventurers and we would like to welcome you all back for our auspicious fourth entry in the Graphic Adventurers podcast, wherein we leave the Fairland of Daventry and the King's Quest series to join a different sort of quest. Roger Wilco in fact, is the chap that we're following this time round. Because we are extending our grasp, not only a quest in a kingdom, or indeed on Earth, but 
We're going to the one place that has yet to be corrupted by feudalism. Space! Little uh, <laughs> Command and Conquer reference there for those people who didn't get it. Space! So, oh, that was a really poor impression. <laughs> <laughs> we are indeed going to be starting the Space Quest series this week with the first entry in the series, Space Quest 1, the Sarian Encounter. But before we get to that... I'd like to just have a little bit of a, a catch-up with my good gentleman friend, the chap in the hat. How are you, sir? I'm good, yes. Gentleman friend. Well, I suppose I am gentleman and I am a friend. It just sounds more like a... It does make you sound like a... Sounds like more soliciting kind of a friend. <laughs> but, no, God, anyway. I would like to say that is not the arrangement, even if I wanted it to be. I, well, social distancing. If <laughs> Quite. Else. The current lockdown rules would thoroughly prevent it. So, yes, that is not the case. However... How are you, sir? Um, I'm all right, yes. Jolly good. I've progressed the beard. Uh, well, you guys won't know because this is audio, but uh, facially increased, waistline decreased. Oh, well done, sir. Well, well you've you got to do what you got to do. Uh, and also, ill. <laughs> so also, ah, there's nothing quite like lowering the waistline than being quite dramatically ill. Yes, I wasn't sure if you were comfortable sharing this or not with our listeners, but you recently did fall victim to the runa, did you not? Yes, yes, I joined the the snowflakes of the pandemic. You won't notice, because we edit this all out, but there was a, quite a substantial distance between recordings, but that's... There was, there was. You may notice, because sometimes I drop in topical references to current presidents and um, Supreme Court justices, which end up being wildly out of date by the time the things actually air. <laughs> As I'm sure you all recognize, especially with the YouTube Let's Play of this particular game. However, yes, there have been some gaps. It's been a rocky road getting the podcast started. We're about ready to actually launch it officially in terms of the timeline we're in now. Obviously, by the time you're listening to it, episodes one and two will already be there. But yeah, we started last year. We got a good run going, I think, wouldn't you say? We got a good few games under our belt. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good couple of months, yeah. And then Christmas hit, and you were very busy, I know, because you work in the um, electrician trade. Yeah, so I'm very much in the utilities, and it was obviously Christmas and winds, storms, and all that kind of jazz. Which delayed things a little bit. And then we got into the new year, and I started having my house destroyed by builders. That's still ongoing, by the way, which is why I'm in a different room now. You can't see that, but in later Let's Plays, you may be able to. And then you you were ill as well, so we've been a little bit delayed. But we're back on track now, and we're ready to uh, dive into a new, uh, a new podcast here. So it's been a little while since we actually played the game, but I'm looking forward to reminiscing about our... Um, <laughs> our Exploits! Exploits in space! <laughs> about our exploits in space and the uh, the adventures of Roger Wilker. So, that aside, let's move on and actually have a look at the game itself. So, it was another Sierra game that was developed, I think it was first released in 1986, if I'm uh, correctly... Yes, I believe it's the year as the Super Mario Bros. Oh, was that 1986? I thought it was 1985. Open to interpretation, but depends. It's, it's not open to interpretation, either it is. Depends which version, because obviously there's been many versions of Space Quest come out. There's been recently remastered. They've been remastered twice, in fact. I think it's been remastered by early 2000s. Really? And then has been redone again, uh, because all the whole King's Quest stuff got done. I know they did the remasters for the King's Quest series. They pretty much carried on all of them. 
Yeah, they were unofficial remakes, weren't they? They weren't Sierra-based. It was like a AGD or something, the team that did those ones? Yes, but the two guys... <coughs> they actually call it the two guys. Okay. A two guys production, which actually came from a pizza company <laughs> in America. It's two guys pizza establishment or something like that. I see. Is this like the progenitor of five guys? You're actually possibly not a million miles away because <laughs> it was like two Italian guys who... We're back to Mario already. <laughs> oh man, it's come full circle, <laughs> which is like a pizza. <laughs> a flat circle indeed. But no, no, it's good. That's what you'll, you'll see. Um, two guys production and all that kind of stuff. And under the supervision of Ken Williams. Okay, so uh, oh, he he was involved then. Yes, yes. In the uh, the remasters. Okay, which I will come to as well when it comes to my part of typing Easter eggs and all that kind of bollocks. Excellent. So it's been remade recently. I know that there was a remake in the the SCI engine, which was the successor to the adventure game interpreter, which was the original engine that the King's Quest and Space Quest games were made on. Yes. So the SCI engine was, I think, pioneered in King's Quest Four. But then they remade King's Quest 1 in that, and I think they also remade Space Quest in the early 90s using that in VGA 256 colour graphics. But we are playing the original game, which had its original release in October 1986. We may be playing a slightly later version of that in terms of whether it's DOS or something like that. I was about to say, I can't remember, because there's version 1.0, then there's 1.1, then there's 2.2, and <clears throat> when we get to that point... There is a very definitive moment, and you can tell because there was a particular lawsuit. Oh, wow. Which I'll, I will cover later on. Yeah. This sounds very interesting. You've done far more research than I have regarding this. This is a, a recurring theme of our podcast here is that uh, you have all the little Easter eggs, which I do enjoy hearing. And they are genuinely a surprise to me when we actually have the discussion here because you've not told me about this before so i look forward to hearing about that Jolly good so the developers of this game were a uh, scott murphy and a mark crow and they had worked on prior titles at sierra significantly king's quest 2 um which is how the trailer for this game managed to find its way so prominently into that game in fact i think you could find that in a rock somewhere in the game if you stuck your head in the correct rock then you were treated to a trailer. I think it's just after the... I know exactly when it is. It's up on the mountains, and it's after the viper that turns into a magic winged horse when you throw a bridle on it and then gives you a sugar cube. I thought it turns into a bridle. You throw a bridle on the viper, and then the viper turns into a horse. I just count what I've said. Ignore me. I am right, because I literally just edited the episode. Oh, right, fair enough. Continue. Sorry. That's okay. So Murphy and Crow, alongside working on King's Quest 2, had also worked together on a Sierra game called The Black Cauldron. Does that name ring a bell to you, Stephen? thought they did Black Cauldron before King's Quest. They may have done. So I didn't mean to imply they did it after King's Quest 2, but they had also worked together on that. I think that's where their partnership was first formed yes but are you do you know the black cauldron Stephen? i i don't know I, I was hoping to go um dabble in this one maybe one halloween well possibly yes but interestingly it is not only a sierra game but it's actually based on a rather unpopular disney movie it's one of the disney movies from the 80s during their dark period well it is quite a dark film actually in fact the original cut of it was a lot darker than what made it to cinemas it was somewhat chopped up and butchered by the editors who didn't want it to be so bleak 
But it was a uh, a Disney movie, and it um it didn't do particularly well. It was sort of before the whole Renaissance period of the Little Mermaid and everything. All the old Disney ones were all dark. I mean, Snow White is terrifying. Yeah, it's got a witch, and you know she. It is terrifying. I wouldn't say it's terrifying. When she's like, well, she doesn't sound like salacious crumb, obviously. But 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 it is scary. You know, when you were a young child, it would have scared you very much. But yeah, so uh, they'd worked on a sort of adaptation of that Disney movie. Incidentally, from the same period, Basil the Mouse Detective is a very underrated Disney movie, if you have not seen it. That was my favourite. I've still got it on VHS. It's so good. I believe in America it's just called The Great Mouse Detective. But if you are a fan of Sherlock Holmes and a fan of Disney, then I'm sure you've already seen it. You know what? If you watch the playthroughs, you'll realise that both Jim and I are big Sherlock Holmes fans. We are. Would you classify us as uh, Holmesian? I wouldn't classify myself as a Holmesian. I hadn't read a lot of them until very recently. I got the audiobook read by Stephen Fry from Audible, and that's where I um, listened to a lot of the stuff. But yeah, I, I certainly love what I've heard. I'm not a fan of the Benedict Cucumber, whatever his name is, series particularly. thing is, I really like that. I don't dislike it. I'm just not a huge fan of it. I prefer the Jeremy Brett ITV series from the 80s. This is going very much off topic, by the way. For no matter what, nobody ever seems to get Mycroft right. In my opinion, the only thing that's ever got it quite right is the Sherlock from the most recent... What, Mark Gatiss? Mark Gatiss, when he goes back in time, you know, when he goes back into his mind palace and he solves the murder of the white witch or whatever. I haven't seen them all. Now, that is the closest I've ever seen and witnessed. Anyway doesn't matter enough of sherlock holmes yes we're not talking about that. we went we're talking from about space quest one <laughs> went from space quest to the black cauldron to basil the great mouse detective to sherlock holmes to mycroft let's reel it back in and get back to scott murphy and mark crow who had worked on the black cauldron and wanted to create a humorous science fiction adventure game so they came up with the idea of space quest but they also wanted to introduce an element of comedy to it sci-fi was very big at the time in the early 80s obviously because of the rise of star wars and to a lesser extent star trek which was back in the public consciousness i will also point out anything sci-fi we're talking terminator we're talking robocop there are so many references in this game and they were so nuanced as well <laughs> i could name them all because i did look them up okay Maybe we'll put them in our show notes. It's very much every other scene, there's a reference. Like early Simpsons, there's pop culture references. Pretty much every single scene. From what he says, how he walks. He walks like John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever. Even like the design of characters, little robots. That can't be like various lawsuits that they could get away with. Even music, which I will come up to. There are so many references. I look forward to exploring them with you. So for me, Star Wars was the main thing that I was getting when I was playing this game. Obviously, that was a, a huge influence. But they also wanted to bring in a comedic element, which perhaps had not been in some of these things. So rather than have their hero be a Jedi Knight or a 
Space Marine or something of that ilk. They decided to uh, cast Roger Wilco in a different career role. He's a janitor. He is a janitor. He's very a Dave Lister kind of character. That's exactly where I was going with this. He's a space bum. <laughs> He's the janitor on the um, the ship at the beginning of the series, and it's a choice possibly inspired by the mop-wielding main character from Infocom's Planetfall, apparently. But for me, the first thing that came to mind was, and this predated it, but I was I was just thought Red Dwarf. He's, you know, the chicken soup machine attendant on the space station, essentially. But we're both big Red Dwarf fans, so I think that was in both of our minds. Well, where did you say it was from, initially? Um, it was from an Infocom text adventure, Planetfall. I've not encountered that. No, I mean, I haven't played a lot. Infocom did a lot of text adventures in the sort of late 70s, early 80s. I think, did they do Zork? Zork might have been Infocom, but they were like the text adventure company, much as Sierra in the 80s were the graphic adventure game company. But text adventures aren't our particular forte, so... Murphy commented that, and I quote, Sierra was in a mindset where everything was medieval, and it was all fairly serious. Unquote. Now, I'm not sure if me and you would agree that King's Quest series is particularly sombre and serious, would you? I would say it's about as serious as the Disney versions of Grimm's fairy tales are, because that's essentially what they're taking it off. I guess so. Maybe it's just the technology of the time, but I find a lot of it rather comedic. I would say the writing pisses all over King's Quest. Okay, what you mean in Space Quest? Yes, most definitely, yeah. Well, I think to a certain extent I agree. I think it certainly pisses all over King's Quest 1, but I thought by the time we got to King's Quest 3, the depth and humour and complexity of the, the text that they put together... Uh, the descriptive narrative. Yeah, they'd certainly gotten less afraid of putting big walls of text for you to read on there, whereas I think in King's Quest 1 it was just a couple of lines here and there. There wasn't much to go on at all, really. I, I really enjoyed it. Um... No, also, which was slightly different to uh, some of the other ones, where you click on something and it, and then click on it again, and it would give you a different response. Yeah, to the same thing. Yes, or a similar situation. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to continue the quote here because this hits on a point that I want to talk about. Murphy says that, I want to do a game that was more fun. We even like the idea of fun death. I mean, if the player is going to die or fail... They should at least get a laugh out of it. So he came up with the idea of making death amusing. Let's face it, most adventure games involve a good deal of frustration for the player. But we felt that if we made that failure fun to an extent, you might have players actually going back and looking for new ways to die just to see what happens. Uh, they are the trendsetters then, because that's pretty much the sort of crap you get up to in like Grand Theft Auto, the original Grand Theft Auto, finding new and interesting ways to die. Well, this is something that I wanted to bring up, and I think maybe we can start talking about the game proper now, even though we're still talking about the background to it. We can interweave the two if need be. So in the game, as we've said, you are a janitor, and you start out coming out of a door on the spaceship that you're traveling on. Does that spaceship have a name? I can't remember now. I want to say that... I want to say Alderaan, or... No, it's not Alderaan, because obviously it's Star Wars, but it... The Arcada. I mean, the whole idea of the entire plot of it is Star Wars. It is. He's even wearing white overalls and he looks like Luke Skywalker. Yeah, so it's the spaceship Arcada. So Roger Wilco steps out of a door. Now, originally we believe that this was the door to his office or to somewhere he'd been working. This is not the case. In fact, this is just a closet door where he had been taking a nap. So he's a man after my own heart. Uh, 
Are you a man of a vertical nap? It's like as if I was in the army. I can sleep anywhere. I wasn't in the army then. <laughs> I think I'd have that as a chapter in my book. You know, like an <laughs> autobiography. The man of the vertical nap. Roger Wilco is the man of the vertical nap. Oh, I was going to say, though, we don't know his name is Roger Wilco. It only becomes Roger Wilco if we don't put anything in. Yes. Because we start the game, we can type in what your name, what you choose to be as your character name. That's true. Roger Wilco is the default character name there, which is actually a play on um, the phrase, Roger that, will copy, if you didn't know. I did know that, and I was about to say it. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, if you typed in Ken, as in Ken Williams, there would be a little animation of Ken coming on and bitching and moaning about how the uh, program was about two months overdue. Wow, I did not know that. That is an Easter egg that I would like to check out. I think it was either in the very first one, which then Ken found out about and got rid of. Oh, so he didn't put it in. It was them putting it in to take the Oh, no, it. It, was, it was two guys <laughs> that did it. Clearly, he's going to put in his own name if he ever plays the game. That's just asking for trouble. Ken did do a little bit of his own programming at certain points. Yep. But uh, some of the stuff he did was more towards the end, and uh, we'll cover that when it comes to point gathering. Ah, marvellous. I'm glad we're going to have a section on that. So you come out of the closet as it is, and the first thing that you notice is that everyone's dead. Wherever you go, your crewmates are strewn about on the floor. This isn't really in terms of the fun death that Scott Murphy was talking about just now, because I think that's in, more in terms of your character. But one of the first things that I did notice about this game was that I felt the level of humour had certainly been upped in comparison to the King's Quest saga, would you agree? Most definitely. It's to the point of unrealism, unless your character is very, very detached from humanity. Yes. Uh, he has a very blasé way of... Um, it's just some sort of psychopath, basically. Well, yeah. To be fair, there's only so many people that would see their crew members dismembered and evaporated and then would make a casual remark of, well, this chap isn't moving. Yeah, exactly. I've got a few quotes here that I would like to bring up because this is one of the things that amused me first and foremost about the game was that every time you go up to a um, body and you like look at body, it comes up with a different way of basically saying the guy's dead. And they'd clearly put a lot of thought into this. So you had such uh, gems as, it appears to be one of your crewmates. He is non-functional. This appears to be a non-breathing research scientist. And my personal favorite, here lies another heap of fried humanity. Who has that running through their mind <laughs> when you regard your work colleagues? Oh, Roger Wilco, clearly. Well, indeed, indeed. So I think that, if nothing else, it sets the present of this is going to be a lighthearted thing. Yes. Tongue is firmly in cheek. Yes. Which I enjoyed. Crikey, this is mid-80s. There's a lot of political things going off at the time. You needed some relief. <laughs> what, from the ever-present threat of global nuclear war, you mean? I was going to say sort of Thatcher, but yeah. <laughs> Same difference. <laughs> Other political opinions are available. Anyway, we are walking around the arcade of trying to find what's happened to all our crewmates and gleefully searching all the heaps of fried humanity that we come across, wherein we find dot, 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 nothing on pretty much any of them. However, we do find a key card on one of them. Well, this is where another aspect of the game comes in. You have to hit certain markers 
Whereas before uh, in King's Quest, it was very much an early sandbox. You could pick and choose whichever quest um, aspect of the quest you wanted to do. You could. It was fairly non-linear. You could do it in the order that you wanted. Yeah. Whereas this is pretty much the very beginning of the linear Sierra games. Yeah. We discussed last episode how King's Quest 2 was more linear than King's Quest 1 in the sense that you had to complete certain tasks in a certain order. But there was still that world that you could explore at your leisure, whereas this has a number of set locations, really, that you complete puzzles in and then you move on to another location and you can't go back and the story moves on in different locales as you go along, which is something that is new, I think. It was, yes. Yeah, and it certainly feels more cinematic in that sense, more like a movie, because you've got certain scenes which you are participating in, and then you move on to the next scene. It's not an open world which you're just dropped in, and like a sandbox, as you said, you can do what you like in. So the first world that you're dropped into is the world of this spaceship, which is clearly under attack by some sort of force. So you need to make your way through the corridors, you pick up this keycard, Essentially, the goal of this section is to find a way off the ship without being caught by the invading forces. I quite like the whole spaceship aspect. It was very blue and very metallic, but I liked the way the character's got his own little boogie. He's got the same sort of animation of the way he walked as of King's Quest, but I thought, personally, it got a little bit more colour to it. Bit more of a strut. Yes. No, I would agree. But um, I thought, like, the background... I think it was very much of the time. I just quite like the way that they sculpted the way that it was futuristic. Yeah, I know what you mean. It had a more of an art design element to it than the previous King's Quest games, for example, which looked like someone had just quickly doodled a picture of a tree. This is like they've actually thought about how they're going to lay this out. So yeah, you're walking around the ship, you are avoiding certain patrols which will fry you into a piece of fried humanity if you come across them. And that's that's another element which is maybe a little bit different from some of the, the earlier games. There were screens that you could walk on where there would be dangers you would have to run away from. But in this, it's like you see a little bit of text at the bottom of the screen. In fact, because of the way we were recording, I'd cut that off because I didn't think it was important the black bar at the bottom of the screen underneath the text input line but it actually comes up there with you hear footsteps approaching and if you don't go and hide in a closet or get out the way when you see that you'll encounter an enemy patrol and they will zap you so it's giving you audio what, visual audio props yes it's telling you what you are hearing very influenced by the whole aspect of star wars this whole game is very much tongue-in-cheek star wars space balls almost because even the um, the theme tune, da -da -da -da, da -da 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 -da, I can't do it because... We might get copyright struck. Yes, from either, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> it's an astonishment they didn't. <laughs> they got away with Thriller in yeah. King's Quest 2 with the ghosts. Yes. So anyway, we walked around for a long time, not really knowing what we were supposed to be doing. Eventually, the ship blew up, didn't it? Uh, I think initially it did, Yes. Yes. Uh, the whole Sierra thing. This has always been timed, but usually it will give you like some kind of clock or warning or something. There was no clue here. We were finally getting somewhere and the ship just blew up. We went back to our previous save, but it was a timer thing. We basically had spent too long faffing about and we had to restart the game, which was okay because we hadn't got too far. Oh, okay, that, that's because it was timed, but this is where it gets a little bit more subtle rather than um, like King's Quest 3 with Minanan. 
it give you a timer, but it dials it down a little bit. It wants you to read. It wants you to pay attention. It wants you to get more involved in the story. And if you did realize, it tells you, you need to get off. You need to find a way off. Who tells you that? It tells you in the dialogue at the beginning. Okay, right. I missed that. Oh, I think it's the scientist saying, you need to get these codes and disappear ASAP. Yes. The thing is, I've been raised on the LucasArts type adventure games. And I think you had too. So sort of like we've got the expectation of, oh, it's fine. We can just walk around and do what we want. They say it's urgent, but obviously nothing's going to happen until we actually trigger that point in the story. Not thinking, oh, actually, there's an invisible timer in the background, which is going to blow up the ship. I wasn't expecting that to happen. Neither die. It sucker punches you a little bit. You go, ah, sod. <laughs> now, if that's the way, that's what's going to happen for the rest of the time. You're living with undefined parameters, which I kind of liked. Yes, it puts you on your toes. Yeah, it's like, oh, God, I'm going to have to solve this quick. Or save it and reload. Yeah. So before you get off the ship, there is a task that you need to complete. And if you don't do that, then you're unable to actually progress with the story. There's a certain data card or something that you need to put into this escape ship that you fly off in. Ah, the cartridge, yeah. Yeah, the cartridge which will take you to the planet that you need to go to. But in order to do that, you need to retrieve it from this cartridge library. So this is another thing where we went wrong, is we flew off in the escape pod without actually having retrieved this and then found ourselves at a dead end. I think it just said we floated aimlessly through space forever if you don't have the cartridge. This is early Sierra, which is where it gets its name from. The whole, you've got to do everything right or you're fucked. And sometimes it won't tell you you've done it wrong until you've gone too far but this is almost more annoying because there's no logical reason why if you have the cartridge you magically find the planet and if you don't then you float through space forever i think it's just that you need it to progress i'm pretty sure it's something to do with you're trying to find a planet you need to have something on your your nav computer oh wait no i think you're right actually yeah if you have the cartridge the nav computer will find it yeah so the cartridge is retrieved from the cartridge library, which you also need to learn how to use, which is quite difficult because we couldn't figure out what part of the computer we needed to tell him to interact with. But this dying scientist walks in and I think he says that you need to retrieve the cartridge called Astral Body, which is eventually what you take. And then when you've got that and you find your way to the escape pod bay, there's some buttons there. You can activate the lift with a card and you need to open the doors you need to go and get in your spacesuit, and you need to depressurize the cabin. So there's a certain order of things that you need to do in the correct order again in order to actually get off the ship. And put your seatbelt on. Oh, shit. Yes, of course. <laughs> you need to put your seatbelt on, which, I don't know, in zero gravity, does that really matter? Apparently it does. It helps if you don't want to be turned into about three or four pieces when you crash land. Does it even let you fly off without wearing your seatbelt? I don't think it'll let you fly. I think in the very, very early version, I think if you don't put your seatbelt on, you do turn into about three or four pieces. Yeah. But later on, it just... It just prompts you, doesn't it? It says, put your seatbelt on. Clunk, click, every... Let's not even do that. Um... <laughs> Let's not talk about that person. Anyway, once you actually escape from the ship, as we said, you are taken to a planet upon which you crash land in your pod you crash land in a sort of desert environment what i really liked when we're flying through space yeah despite the fact it is still 
eight bitty and all that kind of stuff. You have like things flying past. It only might be like a dot turning into a line. Yeah. But I enjoyed it. I mean, it's it's simple. But effective. But it feels like you're in space. It does, which is ironic because if you were actually in space, it probably would just look static no matter how fast you were traveling. Yes. Either way, you crash land on this planet and you're not really given many instructions as to what you have to do next. It's basically a matter of getting out and exploring. What you should do, because we didn't, is make sure that you thoroughly, and I do mean thoroughly, search your pod before leaving it. The pod has a few things lying around which are of use. And it does tell you. It does tell you what it's got. It only tells you once, though. Okay. Upon exiting the craft, there's some glass which is on the floor, which you can take, which we thought was the only thing. However, inside, there is a survival kit, and you have to type in, take survival kit, or take kit. But if you just look around, because that's normally how you find stuff to pick up, I don't think it mentions it, does it? It doesn't, no. Which is why I said, you have to become part of the game. You have to realise what you're reading. Okay, so it says upon crashing in the narrative thing that there's a survival kit in the pod. And you're supposed to take your cues from that. Right, because I think we skimmed over that. Obviously we did, because usually how we play it is the LucasArts way of playing stuff. Look around. Ignore all the bump, look at this, look at that. But it was like, no, no, this is a little bit more subtle than that. You have to read it. You have to pay attention to what's going on. I mean, you've just crashed. It's told you there's a survival kit. Yes, but it only tells you once. And then if you look again at the craft, it doesn't tell you again that there's one. So we missed it and we had to come back for it later. But in the survival kit, there's a Xenon army knife and a can of dehydrated water, which will come in handy later on. That was my favorite joke. What was? The dehydrated water. (laughs) So nothing, nothing essentially. Well, it's like, what is water without... Without water. It's a riddle. It's a Zen Cohen. It's like, what's the sound of one hand clapping? No wonder it bloody exploded. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, I, either way, I enjoyed that as a gag. You see, I think that was maybe a little too subtle for me. I didn't even get it as a gag. This is what I, 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 I thoroughly connected with this game. <laughs> 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 I, I don't know why i'm not not necessarily through the playthrough but like re-watching it i was like oh, i love this game so upon exiting the craft you need to go and explore you got to be careful where you go because you seem to have landed on well i think the planet is called corona rather ominously we, we played this earlier on in the year and yeah uh... like the drink but not spelt the same so the planet, although called Corona, appears to be some variant of Arrakis, because if you're not careful and you don't walk without rhythm, then you will attract the worm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Why are you laughing? I, I, no, I, I, oh, that was masterful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So, yeah, if you sort of, like, go out into the desert and you're walking around, some sort of sandworm, it looks a bit more like the ones from Tremors, but they'll come and swallow you up. So you have to get to the rocks as soon as you can. It's the game way of saying, you can't go this way. Yeah, here be dragons. It's bounding the world, essentially, without literally saying, you can't move off the screen. Yeah. I know we keep referring to King's Quest (laughs) 3. Well, it was a, a seminal title. We did play it for, like, 10 hours. Oh, Christ, yeah, I know. But... They did do that in King's Quest 3 with, like, the Medusa character. But 
you could defeat the Medusa character, which is why I was like, oh man, we can do this. It's just, we need to find the right thing. You thought we could no, defeat the worm. Can't. Yeah, no, no, you can't defeat the worm. The worm is far more powerful than you. May his passing cleanse the world. So <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> I was kind of- Man, you are on fire with these characters. I know, I know, I'm sorry. I'm a big Dune fan, I can't. Um, so you get to the rocks and it's sort of a bit of an environmental maze puzzle here. You've got to find the right way to get up to the top of the cliff. Now, Sierra always falls on its ass. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, it's no beanstalk, but yeah, it's sort of navigating rocky ledges and trying not to fall off. Yeah, the bridge thing especially is annoying. Janky directional keys. Yeah, certainly janky directional keys. And you've got to get the speed right as well, because it's basically a choice between crawling at a snail's pace which doesn't make for good gameplay, let alone good videos, or going so fast that you just keep walking off the edges of cliffs to your fiery doom. I think we found a happy medium. But essentially you need to get up to a ridge with these sort of two standing stones. It looks like a broken arch almost. But to get there, you've got to cross a bridge, which in classic Sierra style again, you can only cross so many times before it collapses. King's Quest 2, I believe. Well, yeah, we never encountered that in King's Quest 2. I mean, we encountered the bridge, but I think we didn't walk across it enough because it never collapsed while we played it. It didn't. But I think they really heightened it down because I think the bridge will have collapsed. Yeah, you could cross the bridge in King's Quest 2 eight times. This one, I don't think you could cross more than like three or four. No, the minimum you can cross it, I think, is three times. It will collapse five times. Oh, yeah, it must have been five because we went back and forth twice once just for the hell of it and then we saved but then we had to go back again to go back to our ship to get the survival kit because we'd forgotten about it also the little bit of mirror as well had we missed the mirror as well actually no tell a lie we found the mirror straight away okay which as i read one of the few things they regret is that they had to make it a little bit easier on the later ones because the mirror is a very specific spot and there's nothing to say that there's bits of glass on the floor. And the direct thing that we did was like, look on floor. We see a shiny bit, pick up shiny thing. Oh, it turns out to be a bit of a reflective mirror. What we failed on was <laughs> on the piece of information we were given freely. Right. And we missed it again. As always, we solved the hard shit straight away. What, like Rumpelstiltskin? Rumpy pigskin. We <laughs> solved that straight away. But the easy stuff we missed. Um... They made it a little bit easier and they give a few more text prompts. In the later version. When we say later versions, you might be thinking sort of... Not the remakes, the later iterations. No, we're almost talking DLC. Slight updates. What we would classify as DLC, yeah. So yeah, you need to get up to this ridge. So you cross the bridge and if you've got everything, hopefully you don't need to cross it again. Now, one of the things along with the um, giant sandworm roaming the desert trying to swallow you there's also shelob oh the mechanical tiktok shelob oh it's a robot isn't it i was thinking it was a spider no but it was definitely arachnid in its composure however i believe it is a um robot isn't it that's trying to get you well that's why yeah i said tiktok shelob <laughs> um so not the app i thought you meant like the chinese spyware app i can't say that probably <laughs> cut that <out>. <laughs> <laughs> Avoid a lawsuit. I'll cut that out. Oh, God, that actually caught me off surprise. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so 
you need to kill the uh, TikTok Shelob. And the best way to do this, this is the way we thought. There's a big rock up on the bridge, which you can push down onto it. But it's a bit of a shitty puzzle. I didn't like this puzzle because you've basically oh. got to time it so it hits it. Taking in timing because you've got to push it to land on it when it's going to be there as opposed to pushing the rock when it's there. And it's on a 2D yeah, you don't know where the floor actually is. There's no grading of telling you where the floor actually is, where it will land. Yeah, and if you miss, you miss and you can't do it again. And you just have to try and avoid it. We just reloaded and reloaded until we got it. I don't know if it's correct or not, but I think you have to sort of maybe move. Because I think it half tracks your movement. So if you jiggle around a little bit, it half moves and it'll scuttle underneath you. I, I don't know. I did actually try to look to see, like, qualifications of how the robot moved. And it's not as though the robot was on a set route, like in Commando, where they would walk the same route around something. It would, like, bounce between two spots and then jump up and then move down and then left and right. And it seemed quite random. Mm. Either way, it would only go to the right point maybe once. Yeah, and it wouldn't stay there for very long. It was an annoying puzzle. But it's a hostile planet. In fact, there is another thing that can kill you, isn't there? There's a crack in the wall somewhere on one of the screens. And if you go and look at it, doesn't something... Fuck, I'd actually forgotten about that. <laughs> yeah, FYI. That's not even in any of the um, things I found in the wikis. Oh, okay. That's something that we found randomly. Yeah. That's literally not in anything I've ever read about. I know, you're walking around and you see this big crack in the wall... And you think, well, this is a Sierra game. Clearly someone's going to have hidden a bag of gold in there or something. That's my whole rummage around in every fucking tree. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what it does to you or what exactly is in there, but you get properly fucked up by it. What is in the crack? Can you remember? Is it a tentacle or something like that? Um, oh, I tell you what, it might be the tentacle inside the cave, but we'll come to that later on. We will. So if you avoid all these hazards and you manage to make it up to the broken archway and you stand in the middle of it, it's basically a hidden elevator which will take you down into a system of, well, purple caves, I assume, because that's one of the few colours they could use in their palette. Apparently this was quite a difficult thing back in the day. The year um, 1986, there used to be a phone line you could phone up to help. I know about the infamous LucasArts hint line. So they had something similar at Sierra. Do you know what the number was? It was 1-800-STAR-WARS. No, no, it wasn't. Are you talking about the Sierra hotline or the LucasArts hotline? Sierra. All right, because I think the LucasArts hotline was 1-800-STAR-WARS. Yeah, yeah, it probably would be. They could use the license. But also, you could buy magazines and books that you could get physical copies of, and it could get useful hints and cheats and tips and stuff. I used to get PC format. don't think it exists anymore. Which, you know, you'd always have the cheats section. You'd go to the back and they'd either have cheats or walkthroughs or all sorts of things. Yeah, I remember those. Absolutely. I used to have a PS1 one on a very regular basis. It used to cost me £1.50. Well, my dad had subscribed to it, so I didn't have to pay a penny. I even sent in to them a walkthrough for Flight of the Amazon Queen, which they didn't print. But I spent like a weekend writing it. Oh, bless. Apparently, under the two pillars of stone, that was quite a difficult puzzle to solve. Do you have to stand, like, right in the middle of it? Yeah, you just stand under as though it was a doorway. Yeah, I'm not sure what we did. Did we just get lucky? I think we just went, that looks like a doorway. Walk into the doorway. I think a lot of people walk through it. Okay, so yeah, we walk through it and it takes you down into this system of caves where there are a number of perils which you have to face. 
first thing you see is there's a, uh, a large grate on the ground. And if you step over it, I think the tentacled monster comes out again and eats you. I think this it's the same tentacled monster that grabs your face. From the crack in the rocks. You also find a rock on the floor. Okay, yeah. If you look in the cave, it says all there is is some unambiguous rock. And you, you take the rock. This is where we learnt from the preamble. <laughs> so you take the rock, you... um. Push yourself as close as you can to the wall behind the grate, and he actually changes his stance. This is something I didn't realise was going to happen, but if you get close to the wall, he actually pushes himself up against it, which is kind of a clue that you're doing the right thing. I think the reason we found it, because I thought we tried to climb the wall. Yeah, I think we did, and then he just sort of hugged it. But then he changed stance, and I was like, oh. I get it. We're going across this way. So you get across the other side, and there's a sort of rock wall. Doesn't seem to be much place to go on the other side however there is a geyser letting out some steam and if you put a rock on the geyser the wall opens because that makes sense that's how geology i don't think it's a natural phenomenon <laughs> <laughs> you put it on there and so the steam blasts open the rock once you're through the door you are created to a new cavern where there is a pool of acid to your right i believe yes yes because this is where I thought it was like water. Ah. And I was like, drink the water, drink the water. And we did. Yet another hilarious death that Roger Wilco encountered. Quite. Of being dissolved from the inside. We did. He drank the water and, yes, was dissolved from the inside and disappeared basically before our very eyes. Why were you so set on drinking this water? I don't know. I just, because I'm pretty sure because it was dripping. Okay. So anything that's dripping, you figure is fair game. No, 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 no. Because we have the can of hydrated water. Dehydrated water. Dehydrated water, sorry. So I assumed I would not see any water at all throughout the whole of the game. Okay, and you thought there might be a survival element to it where if we didn't drink, we would die of thirst. Well, yes, because there is. Is there? Yes. If you're just wandering around... Occasionally say, ooh, I'm feeling a bit parched. Oh, it does. Yes, you're right. I remember that now. You are supposed to take a drink of something. But it's like another one, another thing that we were talking about. It's the um, the hidden countdowns. As in the spaceship blowing up in the first section. Yes. Uh, so this is a, another hidden countdown, but it resets if you um, then take a drink. Okay, so this is actually part of the game. This isn't just we were paranoid. No, no, that is part of the game. You will die of dehydration. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Right, so what do you have to drink? The dehydrated water? Uh, yes. How's that going to help you? It's dehydrated. Well, it, I think it's... You're dehydrated, it's dehydrated. It's a dehydration party. <laughs> dehydration party in a can. And everyone's invited. <laughs> to die. Um, but, yes, we did have a sip of it, didn't we? Because we used the dehydrated water shortly for another purpose. We did, but we'll cover that. But you can have a drink of it. Yeah, I do believe we did drink from it, yes. Mm. okay anyway <laughs> sorry <laughs> we were talking about taking a drink for something i suspect you took a drink then as did i i did actually take a drink then as well yes how how apt <laughs> <laughs> anyway you can't drink the acid that's the important thing so you avoid the acid acid and go left into a new cavern where you are greeted with yet another perilous threat to your life in the form of laser beams crossing your pathway. I thought I'd 
take a punt and just walk through him at first. But yeah, that was a dumb idea. <laughs> yeah, you've seen that scene in Resident Evil, right? Oh, yes. Well, it, you know, is that the actor that... I think it's the same actor who's in Alien vs. Predator and he gets hit by a net that does exactly the same thing to him. Maybe it was a homage on their part to the original Resident Evil. The only actor I know from Resident Evil is Mila Jovovich. That's it. And the only actor I know from Alien vs. Predator is Lance Henriksen. So. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, obviously, yes. Anyway, <laughs> horror movies aside... Quite. In order for us to get past these laser beams, instead of another hilarious death when we fall into many, many pieces, we have to use our reflecting bit of metal, or a reflecting piece of glass, uh, i.e. mirror. Yes. <laughs> to deflect the laser's deadly rays back upon itself. To hoist it by its own petard, if you will. Uh, yes. <laughs> In a very literal sense. The, how? Oh, the, the hoisting by your own petard, it was a... I'm pretty uh, sure it doesn't have anything to do with lasers. No, no, but it was like a siege weapon, wasn't it? It's was a bit like a cannon that you used to put against the door. Yes. And you, you blow a hole through the door, and the force of that would push the cannon-like object, I think is the petard, I see, mm. back. And if you were stood too close, you'd be hit. Might whip off one of your legs. Yes, or cut you into three pieces like a laser would. <laughs> It's a, it's a Shakespearean thing. Shakespeare with laser beams. That should be the name of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mean this episode or the podcast in general? No, 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 this, this episode. <laughs> okay, so moving on. Once you've defeated the laser beam, you walk up and around into a sort of higher layer of the cave where you have to walk past some dripping acid. I think this is basically just a timing puzzle. You've just got to walk correctly and make sure you don't get dripped on. Yes, because yet again you will be melted. Another hilarious death. Yes. Now that's what it should be called. <laughs> Space Quest, another hilarious death. I think that was uh, the proposed eighth instalment, wasn't it? Y you know what? I genuinely have no idea if you're joking or not. Good. Because <laughs> <laughs> I would then... actually genuinely expect that to be. Then we will just move right along. <laughs> so, once you pass the acid, you can walk into a new cave and you go straight into a very dark, dark room where you will see a hideous visage of some strange alien with pink eyes appear before you. And if you are wearing the translator that you picked up earlier in the game... Well, you are wearing the translator... It's whether it's switched on or not is a different matter. <laughs> ah, right. Okay, yes. If you have switched on the translator, then you'll be able to hear him in perfect English. However, if you have not done this, then what he says to you, and in classic Alolo fashion, he will only say it once, will remain a mystery. Yes. <laughs> he spouts complete and utter gobbledygook at you. He does. But luckily, we had turned on our translator, at least at one. <laughs> one saving, yes. Exactly. And uh, yes, he tells you that his people, his race, if you like, have been plagued by a monster that lives in a cave nearby called the Orat. Oh, it was the Borat monster. Yes, I remember now. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, that's if you put his initial B in front of Orat. Yes. Because obviously he's Bernard Orat, but they just refer to him as by his yeah. last name. His Christian name. <laughs> no, not his Christian name. <laughs> no, and Bernard surname. would be his Christian name. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it wouldn't really have the same sci-fi effect if they just said, there's a terrible monster living nearby called Bernard. <laughs> Bernard Orat. <laughs> oh, right. Sounds villainous. 
so yes, you are tasked with uh, proving yourself to this alien race by um, taking out this monster, Bernard. Uh, he lives in a cave to the east, and there are two ways to kill him, apparently. I was about to bring one of these up, so yes, I, I shall let you continue. Well, precisely. One of the ways we have already eliminated for ourselves in our playthrough, because one of the ways to kill him is that you lead TikTok Shelob <laughs> <laughs> to his cave, and uh, she does him in. Very much as Gollum led Frodo to the cave of Shelob, but he didn't get done in quite so much. So that's the way to kill him, but we couldn't do that. Yes, because uh, we'd already dropped a rock. We had indeed already dropped a rock upon her head. So the other thing that you can do, I don't fully recall how we figured this out. I think we basically just tried throwing everything at him. Yes, in King's Quest fashion, we went hammer and tongue with a Swiss army knife. Do you not mean the Xenon army knife? Yes, the Xenon army knife. We did, so that didn't work. So what you actually have to do is throw your dehydrated water at him. And in what I can only assume is a uh, a fine homage to the movie Jaws, it lands in his mouth. I think we did make reference to this on our playthrough. Yeah, I think he just takes a bite of it. I don't think you have to actually get your gun out and say, smile, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I think he just, he bites it and uh, proceeds to explode. Uh, no, there was, a, what was the text? It was something, he seemed to have consumed an entire lake of water or some, uh, something equally amusing. In a microsecond. I don't, I, I wish I could remember, but I don't recall that and I didn't note it down. Um, I don't have what he says on that one, but if he fights the TikTok Shelob, I have got the quote of what he does say with that. Okay, well, please share. I I'm interested. He says, The cave interior now features lovely new jagged metal slash liberated entrails <laughs> motif. The stench, few. Not even an all-text adventure would attempt a description. Ah, very good. Nice little infocom dig there. Yes. Yeah, I thought they smelled bad on the outside, but apparently it's even worse. <laughs> so, once you've thrown the dehydrated water at him, slash killed him with TikTok Shelob, he explodes in both times, and uh, all that is left of him is a rather unceremonious chunk on the floor, I believe. <laughs> yes, he, uh, he explodes into a cloud of viscera. <laughs> he does. And you can retrieve this chunk. In fact, nay, it's uh, vital that you do retrieve the chunk in order to prove your worth to the alien in the dark room so you just go back there and again you're screwed at this point if you've gone over the bridge too many times because you have to cross the bridge again to get back to the arches that should be your third time over provided that you know exactly what you're doing yes yes then you you go back into the cave you make your way back to him and you drop the chunk at his feet and he lords your bravery and allows you into the coronian settlement ah i don't think i said this earlier but do you know why it's called Corona? Um, because the developers were drinking a lot of Corona while they wrote it. <laughs> it is their favourite beer. Yeah. <laughs> is that actually why? <laughs> it's actually true. It's the two guys' favourite beer. There you go. Wow. Okay, I was joking. I didn't think that was... <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, it's blown up in their face now, hasn't it? <laughs> Much as the dehydrated water did to the Orat. <laughs> come full circle not unlike a corona precisely anyway once you're let into their secret settlement there's a few sort of little aliens wandering about and there's a large computer with a cartridge slot in which you can put what was it called astral projection or something 
Oh, I don't think you're merely miles off by saying um, astral projection. It was astral something, astral body, I think it might have been. You can put this into the cartridge slot. They appear to have, even though they're an alien race, exactly the same technological storage media as humans. (laughs) So that's handy. Then you will be told much more about this evil weapon of the Sarians called the Star Generator. No copyright infringement here. Well, I suppose the Death Star does sound like a ripped-off version of the Star Generator, doesn't it? Um, I, well, yes. What, are you thinking that people will think that George Lucas stole it from... The two guys? Yes. No, no, I just thought, like, Death Star always sounded like a really shitty name. I think it's quite memorable. It's better than Star Killer Base. Yeah, but Star Killer Base does have a more side... Anyway... Back to the the game. Back to the game. This is the Star Generator. And very importantly, the cartridge also gives you the self-destruct code to the Star Generator, which is only four numbers. Apparently it's 6858, according to the little cheat sheet I'm looking at here, although it may differ from game to game. I don't think it does, because I think we touched on the helplines earlier. Oh, they just tell you what it is if you didn't get the cartridge? No, that's the number that you call. Ah, okay. It's the last four digits of the phone number. With you. Right, okay. That's clever. That's clever. So, once you've figured out the way to destroy the base, you have to exit the little settlement that you've found. There's a little machine. It looks like, you know the robot vacuum cleaners that you get? Uh, Yes. It's basically that, but it's called a skimmer. Ah, it's it's a pod racing. Uh, Yes. Well, not really. (laughs) Oh, yes, the actual... um, the, the puzzle that is coming up is very much like the pod racing from episode one. I can't accuse it of ripping that off because it came out 13 years prior. You can accuse it of being one of the most fundamentally annoying aspects of... Oh, it's just terrible. Absolutely terrible. Still not as bad as the beanstalk, but getting there, it was pretty awful. So yeah, what you do once you have got the information on how to destroy the star generator is that you get on this skimmer and you have to turn the key... Apparently, it still works with a combustion engine. (laughs) Uh, It will take you zooming out onto the desert flats. It's like a little hover machine, so uh, it doesn't attract the worms, luckily. And you can then navigate your way around the desert until you come to a settlement, which you'll get to soon. But the puzzle itself is basically... What it reminded me the most of is... Do you remember Aladdin? Not the film, the game. Oh, you're talking about the um, magic carpet sequence getting out of the... I am talking about the magic carpet sequence, yes. How sort of like things would blink as they were coming up and then you had to move very quickly out of the way. And it gets faster and faster and faster as you go along. It's a, suppose it's like a precursor to the quick time events, but the prompts are living, I suppose, rather than like press A or press right. It's sort of like rock move exactly they are very very quick i mean we were playing this game at what the second to fastest speed originally yes just so that we didn't die of boredom while he walked from one screen to the other but we slowed this down i mean we slowed it right down to slowest and we still were having trouble it was quite ridiculous how much actual thinking time they give you to avoid your obstacles now this is the problem i had with this particular part i I like my uh, point and click adventure games as we all do yeah, I like to point and click. I don't like to have to have it be a twitch, avoid the rock <laughs> reflex test. Can you smell what the rock is cooking? Uh, yes, our bloated corpse in the sun. After we've hit about four or five <laughs> of the buggers for the last half an hour. All I remember is that this was much like the beanstalk puzzle, something where I literally 
thanked God for ScumVM allowing me to save whenever I want and was saving every millisecond after having avoided an obstacle. And it went on for a torturous amount of time. It really did. You'd think, oh, we're done. Oh, no. No, there's another five minutes of it. Great. I, I, I don't think you're wrong with saying it, it was getting close to five minutes. This is where people will say, actually, the podcast, you only did it for three minutes, two minutes. Well, that's probably because we actually paused and cut out most of the stuff that we did. <laughs> this section, up until we get onto the main destroyer mm. a vulcan or whatever it was called there was two aspects of it that were just needless grind work yeah needless for a point and click adventure yeah well this wasn't grind work so much as it was just impossible just a grind yeah <laughs> without um without the save function anyway yeah i mean it was it was a terrible part of the game i was glad for it to be over and when we finally got past it you reach on your skimmer the settlement of Eulent's Flats. <laughs> you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy, apart from Moss Eisley Spaceport, which this is basically the same place. Yes. I must admit, I kind of like the writing of this. It's a childish joke. I know, Urson Flats as in... It's a, it's a fart gag. Is it? Yeah, flatulence. Flatulence. I've only just got that. Seriously? <laughs> Yeah, well, how how was I supposed to get that? All the way through the playthrough, I was like, <laughs> I think I was even making fart noises. Okay, I thought you were just like on drugs or something. <laughs> Being me. <laughs> you just thought I was just, that's what I do when I'm bored or something. Well, yes, absolutely. That is kind of what you do <laughs> yeah, when you're okay. bored. You just make random scatological humor, which is fine. That's why I like you, partially. <laughs> <laughs> But I didn't. I I did not get that at all. So when you arrive at Eulent's Flats, you get off your skimmer, um, and you're not going to need it again, which is handy because a guy immediately comes up to you and tries to buy it off you for thirty buckazoids. Now, I, not being a resident of the planet Corona, have no idea what the exchange rate is between buckazoids and imperial credits. So is that good? I don't know. I've not been to any shops yet to see what shit costs i have absolutely no idea whether this is a good deal or not as it turns out it was pretty shit um yeah it is a pretty shit deal <laughs> so we rejected the offer actually first because i was like well can i have a look around first and see what stuff costs because i've no idea whether that's actually good or not not knowing whether or not we'd ever get another chance to sell our skimmer ah uh, the lovely quick save button <laughs> exactly luckily you do so we head off, we have a look around. I think we're mostly outside the Moss Eisley Cantina, essentially, at first, which we headed into. Each time you head in, there's a different act on stage, which is a nice little joke. Yes, you've got the Blues Brothers. They're doing a little jig. They are. Well, I mean, they're not the first ones. I think at first you get the classic sort of alien band, like you would do in Star Wars. Actually, in one of the first earlier versions, it isn't the green aliens. Uh, okay. It was initially any one of three. It was Blues Brothers. ZZ Top. ZZ Top um, playing uh, Shark Get Dress Guy. Or a close approximation that wouldn't get them sued. Yes. And Madonna. Oh. We didn't have Madonna. I didn't see Madonna. No, because... She complained. The, yes, pretty much, yeah. So they changed her for the Green Aliens in the latter versions. Okay, right. I would be interested to see what she was singing in the original. I don't know. Uh, I did look up and I couldn't find anything. She might very well be just in, shall we say, her 
pointy bikini. I was going to say her cone bikini, but yes. That just makes me think of Alan Partridge. <laughs> Do you like my cones? Would you like me to lap dance for you? <laughs> no. Anyway. So, yeah, that's beside the point. Beside the points. It's <laughs> <laughs> the matter, Cone, you take a joke. Um, they don't have anything to do with the game at large or the puzzles. They're just there for uh, aesthetic. Aesthetic fluff. Yes. So you go into the bar and there's a bar, obviously, with some aliens at who are very untalkative. And a barman who won't give you anything because you don't have any money. Equally untalkative. And there is also a slot machine, a classic one-armed bandit, I think, as you would call it. Yes. What drew our attention to that particularly is uh, when we first enter the cantina, there is an alien, not unlike Greedo from uh, the Star Wars Enterprise. Is he at the bar? No, I think he's at the slot machine. Oh, okay. And uh, after a couple of moments, gets turned into a pile of dust. Oh, when he loses. Yes. Yes. Of course, I forgot this. So if you're paying attention, you should realise if you lose, you get killed. The stakes are very high. Yes. But you still need money to play the game. Correct. Which we don't have currently. So we headed back out because there wasn't much we can do in here. And we were approached yet again by the same gentleman wishing to purchase our skimmer. He could have just nicked it while we were gone. In fact, I think you need to take the key out of it before you get off. Otherwise, it does get nicked. Possibly, I don't know. I know if you refuse him again, it does get nicked. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this time he says, I'll give you 30 buckazoids like last time, but I'll also give you a jetpack. And just at the word jetpack, I was like, done, yep, you can have it. I want the jetpack. And yeah, I thought it was a good deal. It, it was. Well, it, it is the best deal because we cannot finish the game without it. <laughs> it's the only deal. That's a very sneaky way of them playing this because you usually go, oh, 30 buckazoids, yeah, yeah, I'll play that. I'll get 30 quid for a thing I'm not going to use. We still don't know what a buckazoid is worth. It might be like the old Italian lira. Useless. Well, now, yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and pretty useless back then as well, unless you had a million of them. No, you, you literally can't win the game without it. Yes, because you need it to get from your ship to the big ship. Correct. Without exploding. But to, to throw in something so obtuse of, was it like St. Peter? You have to be denied three times in order to do it. Obviously not denied three times, but at least denied once. I, I, you, we've strayed into a whole other game here of which <laughs> I don't recall oh, Religion. This. No, St. Peter, you know, like, uh, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. Yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. I just, uh, you know, Jesus is not in the game. Not even space Jesus. No, or the space Pope. Yes. (laughs) Okay, yes, if you deny him three times, then God strikes you down. Yes. But if you only deny him twice... You get get a jetpack. You get a jetpack, so... (laughs) 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 I'm just imagining... Is that why Jesus ascended? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh god <laughs> poor peter he almost had it <laughs> way before his time <laughs> that's quite enough blasphemy for one day thank you very much sir. <laughs> other religions are available they are they absolutely are so once you've sold him your <laughs> i think you say soul then <laughs> <laughs> sold him your soul for 30 buckazoids and a jetpack. Uh, <laughs> I can't stop laughing. 
It's so ridiculous when you say it. Oh, no. Well, I'm just imagining um, Judas getting uh, 30 <laughs> buckazoids instead of five pieces of silver. <laughs> uh, 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 yes. Sorry, we both went to Catholic school, so uh, this is religious humour. Um, <laughs> once you've sold him that and you've got your money, you can have a little look more around the town. There's a tiny, tiny Tim's. I don't think it's tiny Tim's, but I call him tiny Tim. Uh, no, I think you are right. It's Tiny's. It's not tiny Tim's. Tiny Tim is a character from a Christmas Carol. Which Christmas Carol? A Christmas Carol. The Christmas Carol. Dickens. <laughs> anyway, tiny Tim's use spacecraft. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> and tiny Tim is some sort of large used car salesman basically but in alien form essentially the precursor to stan uh yes quite so and he's got quite a few spaceships on offer but none of them are within your budget and likewise there's also a robot shop to the north and uh again you can't really afford any robots in there either so it's quite evident at this point that you need to gamble away your life savings in the bar now do you remember what the robot shop was called uh no do you i do it was called droids be us oh okay right now i have left breadcrumbs throughout the last couple of hours talking about the lawsuit uh so toys are us sued is this where you're going essentially yes (laughs) because initially it was called droids are us ah and they had like a robotic giraffe as a logo and um they claimed that it was theirs uh, and obviously it very obviously is but the two guys won so they didn't have to pay out but they did agree to change it from droids are us to droids be us but if they won why did they need to do that was it just a show of good faith yes they also got rid of the giraffe as well i think in the original ones it sort of is but it's only like 1.2 or 1.3 or something like that that it's changed from what are we playing 1.1 1. 1? it was the 1987 version we played that's what i'm on about anyway yes should we continue yes um on that aspect with the version 1.0 you got in the box two items with it as well okay and they were coupons for one for droids be us so what did you like enter the code from it in the game and it gave you a discount no that's why when we eventually bought our robot it was asking us for a coupon and it just automatically took it off us oh uh, okay right i don't recall that it did just watch it no, that's um, okay. I, I believe you i'm not <laughs> saying i am not doubting your honesty at all i'm just saying it's been a while since i played it and if we went to the bar and said give coupon we'd have received a free beer well shame that we didn't do that because free beer is one of life's greatest joys well we didn't have a coupon and also we had no idea what the hell we were supposed to be doing with the uh the bar no the only thing we had to go on was the fact that we had 30 buckazoids and a jetpack yes so we figured let's go gamble our 30 buckazoids and that's what we did so we go into the cantina and there is the slot machine, and we basically played a slot machine for about 45 minutes. God, it was 45 minutes, wasn't it? It was. This was another one that we paused the actual video because... I want to say, within half an hour of us wandering on, we'd done the speeder race. Yep. And then we did the coin slots. Yep. And 
altogether, I think just getting from those two bits took us, what, nearly like three, four hours? It did take us a long time. The slot machine especially, I had a bit of a rant about it, actually, because I just thought it was terrible gameplay, which is unfortunately repeated in Leisure Suit Larry, as we will get to next time. But basically, what you have to do is just play a game of chance, which you are inevitably going to lose. But every time you lose, you just reload. And every time you win, you save the game. Well, actually, every time you lose, you become a pile of dust. Well, yes, and then you reload. Uh, unlike in real life, if you become a pile of dust, there is no reloading, as Lot's wife discovered. <laughs> <laughs> More biblical humor. Um, so that's basically what you have to do. And I thought, surely this can't be right. So we did have a little bit of a sneak peek at walkthroughs for the game, because I was like, this can't be how it's actually done. Because back in the day, the save capacity of a lot of machines was very low. In fact, a lot of times you'd just have to start the game again, I think, if you died. Yeah. So I thought this can't be it. We looked it up and nope, that is it. You just have to play the game until you win, like 20 times in a row. Now, there was a little bit of a cheat in version 1, but I keep mentioning 1.0, but... I know, I feel like I sort of missed the boat on this or something. You know how, like, when you get into a band and all your snooty friends are like, you weren't there at the beginning. They've sold (laughs) there. You weren't there. (laughs) That's Vietnam. Uh, Oh, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, tell me about version 1.0. Yet again, there was a lot of text prompts. If you typed in, holy shit, (laughs) whilst playing on the... uh, slot machine you essentially won you essentially got as much money as you could possibly get out of it which i think was 250 or something like that i wish if i shouted holy shit at slot machines in real life that they paid out like that no there's only one winner whereas really i would just be ejected from the premises (laughs) i wish for once in my life someone would call me sir without adding you're making a scene So, yeah, we didn't know this cheat, unfortunately, so we did have to brute force it, essentially, with save scumming. But once we'd done that, we did get about 250 Buckazoids, I think it was, was our final tally. Something like that. We break the machine once we get to that point. Yeah, you can't get any more. That's the most you can get, which is handy, otherwise I'd have just kept playing. That's gambling addiction for you. (laughs) But once you have 250 Buckazoids, we went to the used spacecraft yard and we were able to purchase a spacecraft yes i I believe there's two on offer Uh, a lovely little um silver attire not unlike the spacecraft in the thing yeah it's the classic sort of ufo disc isn't it enough space for one person squatting yeah however that is not the one you want no because if you buy that one it drills itself into the ground It doesn't kill you, you just jump out, and the Stan reptile, that is tiny, goes, ah, well, you see, uh, it must have been the magnetic blast from the meteorite reflecting off Swamp Gap, or some equal nonsense. As you can, uh, I I can't give you your money back, but I can give you 70 Buckazoids off your next purchase. Okay. The only other thing that's left is the green. Was it green or is it blue? Um, I thought it was kind of silver again. Oh no, the one to the left, you mean? The other one. No, because there's one to the north, isn't there? That's the one you end up taking. We end up taking, yes. Oh, do we not buy that? Well, we give tiny money, but the one we take wasn't on sale. Okay, this is where my memory's starting to fade a little bit, because I thought that's the one we bought. No, what it is, is it's supposed to be that you buy it, mm. but um, Tiny is essentially sold as a ship that wasn't his to begin with. Ah, right, yes, okay, <laughs> I recall now. And the guy comes in saying, hey, hang on, what are you going with my ship? <laughs> so yeah... 
that's the one that you need to fly off with even if you don't legally purchase it but in order to operate it it needs a little r2 droid basically in the back of it yes to do the navigation so you have to take the rest of your buckazoids of which you don't have many by this point because i think the ship costs like 214 is it um off the top of my head i don't know okay never mind but it'd be something along those lines so you take your remaining 36 buckazoids over to the droid store and you are able to purchase a droid it's sort of a reddish looking one isn't it i think it's a bit like the one that uncle owen purchases on tatooine before r2d2 that blows up well actually i think the whole of tiny's house is very reminiscent of luke's house it is yeah it's got a little dome on the top it's got bunting I keep expecting to see two charred skeletons crawling out of it. Because they've just recently been playing the slot machine. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, there's definitely a Star Wars vibe. Luckily, our droid does not have a bad motivator. It comes along with us and we manage to take it to space. Well, we can take two. Well, we can't take two, but we have the opportunity of buying different ones. Oh, okay. And if we do buy another droid... I think it explodes or it, mm. I think it explodes before we get out. Yeah, I think you're right because I remember I think we did buy a different one, didn't we? And then we got out of the shop and it basically collapsed. It very much did what the droid did on Star Wars. It just went... <laughs> Good impression. <laughs> so yeah, you need to make sure that you get the right droid. I don't know if there's any way of knowing other than trial and error. Obviously, the one that we do end up getting, which looks like uh, Alpha from Power Rangers, is probably the best description. If you watch Power Rangers and know what that means, yeah. Yes, who was pretty much a rip-off from Robbie the Robot. Okay. Never watched Power Rangers. Yeah, but you've seen, I think, Lost in Space. Never watched Lost in Space. I'm not helping. Either way. Carry on. Doesn't matter. But yes, you get him, and he's the one that you're supposed to have. Okay. Fair enough. So yes, once he has come along and you've installed him in your ship, you fly off, little green alien comes running on, angry that you've taken his ride, as you would be, and you fly up to space. Oh wait, I forgot a big part of this. I was about to to interrupt you. You fly up to space not knowing where you're going. but (laughs) And then you drift once again. Aimlessly, forever. Sorry, do go on. Because what you need to do is you need to find out where the Star Destroyer is. Star Generator. Yeah, you need to find out where it is. It is currently in Sector HH. How do we know that? <clears throat> I shall tell you. Uh, you need to spend some money at the bar. I think there's a vague reference to possibly that's where the star pilots hang out. So you have to sort of buy beer and listen to the patrons at the bar. Yeah. I think we came up a little bit unstuck at this because initially we bought our robot, we bought our ship, and we disappeared off into space. And that's when we discovered we couldn't do it because we didn't know where it was. So we uh, went back to the homes. We need to find information from here. So we found out we needed to talk to the bar patrons or find out it was from the bar patrons. We did. So at first I thought that we'd need to buy them beer, which we couldn't do. What you essentially have to do is just buy beer, drink beer. But you have to do this a few times because I assume they just think you're a uh, suspicious foreigner from distant parts at this point of the game. You need to really prop up the bar for a few beers there before they start to uh, loosen their lips a little bit. Now, I was given the impression that it should have been three, but I'm pretty sure we used more than three beers. Yeah, we drank a fair few, but we did go through them rather quickly. That's true. Did we get drunk? Um, 
I mean, yes, but I assume you mean our characters. <laughs> our Roger Wilco. <laughs> yes. Okay, I don't know about that, but go on. <laughs> this isn't King's Quest Three. No. Um, <laughs> um, I don't remember. I don't. Really, what? How do you know if you're drunk in the game? Because it pretty much inverts your keys for you. Oh, okay, fair enough. And you can only stop it by getting out, but it changes the direction of your keys every three or four seconds, randomly. I see. So getting out is not the easiest accomplishment. No, 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 no. No, I don't think that happened. I don't remember that. Well, that's what happens if you have one too many. That's another little Easter egg. fun part. Excellent. But yeah, we had a few beers at the bar, and eventually you start to overhear some of the conversation that's going on between the barflies and they happen to mention a nearby star generator or sarian ship that is located in sector hh once you are equipped with this information then you can get in your ship with your droid and fly off to said star generator but before you do you need to buckle up uh, oh yeah put your seatbelt on always <laughs> every trip excellent clip mm. um but we've had a lot of booze so you can go around the back of the spaceport and if you type in take leak he plunges a vegetable out of the ground i assume <laughs> out of the arid desert yes <laughs> and munches upon it i really like leaks uh, well, you'd have been awful in a submarine <laughs> <laughs> i bet you can have one of three random phrases that it gives you one is you beam with pride having just written your name in the sand okay uh, you leave a moist arch on the building's <laughs> side. Excellent. Number three, drat. You could have done without that sudden gust of wind. <laughs> oh, lovely. I like this game. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's things like that that make it so much more bearable. It's just those two bits. God. Yeah, they were terrible, those two bits. But Damn it. the humour in the game is certainly a step up. Yes. As we've discussed. So once you get uh, up to the Sarian ship, the star generator, I think you're a little bit stuck here because you can't really do anything. The only thing you can do is use jetpack and nothing else will work because you're sat in a ship static in space. We tried get out, we tried open door, nothing worked. Once you have your jetpack and spacesuit, I assume, on, you can fly to the Sarian ship and use the airlock system to get in i think i thought we had to do something in order to get in or do we just fly in straight through the airlock you just put an open door right now it's the next bit that the airlock closes but a service droid comes in and whilst the service droid comes in that's when you have to sneak out yes because you can't get through the door without the service droid being in that's correct yeah so there's a little bit of timing involved there yes yeah no, that, that's that's right uh, and that leads us to a room and i believe in the room there's a door and a box. Mm. If you go out the room, you get shot. Yes, as you should do, being an <laughs> intruder on an alien ship. So, we did what we'd always do, and escape the room, have a look what's in the room. We see... What do we see? There's a little vent which you have to get in. You have to do the John McLean trick of crawling through the vents to avoid detection. Although you have to actually climb up onto the box first, because the vent is a little bit taller than you are able to reach in order to get in. Oh, and I forgot. In order to get in, you have to take your jetpack off. 
because you won't fit in with your jetpack on your back. But Roger Wilco apparently is a man who despises clutter because you can't just <laughs> take it off. He won't let you do that. You have to actually put it in the box that you step on to get up to the vent. Uh, and if you do that, then you can finally climb in. Once in the air vent, you crawl through a little passageway and there's a ladder going up and down to various screens. I don't know, maybe you can tell me this, whether it makes any difference which room you get out of or whether it just takes you to the same room. It is an infinite loop. Yeah, it doesn't matter where you go. I think we went down about 10 times and then we went out of a, an air vent and it turned out to be the room we came in. So we went up to the vent that wouldn't open and we tried all our inventory on it. Okay. And we got irritated and we went, oh, can we just kick the damn thing in? And you can. And that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to kick the air vent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. And that's where you exit into the laundry room. Now, the other way to get into the laundry room, that box we put our jetpack into... Hmm was a laundry hamper. Ah, right. Okay, so what, can you climb in it yourself? And then the guard who shot you previously takes you to the laundry room. Ah, okay. Right. Clever. Apparently, that's what you're supposed to do. We went instantly straight into the air vents. Yeah, well, it's because I've played Deus Ex and Half-Life, and I watched Die Hard. It's what you do. Yes, but there are points going... You get points for doing the laundry thing, but you also get bonus points for doing the air vent. So what you're supposed to do is do the laundry room, mm. then go back through the air vents to collect all the points. Either way, all paths lead to the laundry room. <laughs> <laughs> Life is but one long laundry list. And once you're there, I think you just have to climb in. I don't think there was any reason given for this, but... I think what happens is... If you go out, you get shot. But I think there's a prompt which says you hear a guard coming or something along those lines. Yeah. So you're in a big room. So obviously the great big thing in front of you, the washing machine the size of a man. Mm. Your first instinct is to jump to the washing machine. Yeah, well, that's certainly my son's first instinct <laughs> when he encounters <laughs> them. So must be human nature. So yes, you climb in. And as soon as you're in there, a little alien comes in to do his laundry and shuts you in with his uniform and uh, sets you spinning. That's it. And somehow that amounts to it being perfectly applied upon your person when you get out. I, I think it does brush over with the tongue-in-cheek <laughs> of, I, I don't know the exact quote, but it just so happened you fall out with everything your old uniform has come off and the other guard's uniform has somehow been put upon you. And you're not dead from being battered to death in a washing machine. <laughs> anyway, we get uniform on. And now, apparently, that means we can wander the ship without being detected. Especially if you... Um, where do we get the ID card? I think you have to check yourself. Before you wreck yourself. Before you wreck yourself. <laughs> yeah, yes. but well, no, before you are wrecked by others. Yeah, I think we wandered around trying to get to a door. Mm. I was like, well, where do we get the key card from? And I think we came to the conclusion, well, we're wearing a guard's uniform. Let's check that. Well, yeah. So check pockets. And it was like, yeah, you've got a key card. I was like, oh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Once you find the ID card, then you can pretty much go anywhere you like on the ship. And there are lots of lifts all over the place that take you to various floors. It's a bit maze-like, this part. It's quite difficult to figure out where you're going. But once you explore the ship a little bit, you find the core, so to speak, of the ship, which is being guarded assiduously by a Sarian. 
and you also find a sort of weapons issue counter oh yes it's the robot that um yeah there's a robot at the counter and if you show me card then he'll go off to find you a weapon but what you need to do is while he's off finding your weapon you need to walk over to a pile of grenades nearby him and take one while he's away. Yes, because you can't ship issue them because you haven't got the right license or something along those lines. Correct. And you have to do this the first time because if he comes back and you miss the opportunity to get a grenade and you ask him to go off and get you another weapon, then he kills you. Yes, I think there's two grenades there, so I think you can pick up both. Well, as far as I'm aware, you only need one. Yes. The important thing is that you have to do this the first time, because if you ask him to go and check his weapon stock too many times, he gets pissed off and he ends you. He stone cold blows you away, so to speak. He really does, yeah. So once you've got your grenade, you then can use this. The way to do this is you need to get rid of the Sarian Guard in front of the Star Generator core. Yes. And, uh... You do this by, it's pretty well telegraphed because he's there at the bottom of the floor and then there's a walkway that you get to via another screen up at the top. In fact, I think the robot with the weapons is over the walkway. Yeah, I think the door that leads away from the armory is directly above the uh, core generator. So you just stand right above him and you just type drop grenade and he just drops it and the Sarian either passes out or chokes to death, I'm not sure which, doesn't really matter. I'm sure it matters to the Sarian's family, <laughs> but to us, it makes no difference. Well, you don't know that it might be a hive mind. Yeah, I do not know about the collective unconscious of the Sarian race. I'm pretty sure neither did the developers of the game. Who's to know? Once you've knocked out the Sarian, you can go down to the star generator, but you will encounter a fair amount of foes on your way, who I think once you've thrown the grenade are pretty wise to your plan. No! That's not how it happens. We drop the grenade and we scarper, as all miscreants and roguelike characters do. And as we're running away, we have to go across and then down in an elevator to come back again. I just remember that you have to pop a cap in some... I'm not even going to say that. <laughs> in various asses. <laughs> you have to, you know, shoot your Reagan essentially, and kill some aliens. But as you're wandering towards an elevator, you've not done this at all in the entirety of the game. But you fall over and your helmet rolls into the elevator. Oh, okay. that's. And then your disguise is ruined. Okay, this is to enforce some sort of action in the game, I would assume. Yes. And it's actually, it was quite fun actually, although um, it's not like an adventure game at this point. Because once you equip your pulse ray, it's like... There is a button to fire it, so it's not like you type in fire gun. It is just a bit like an action game. You see a alien and you go pew 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 and take him out. Oh yeah, but you have to be fucking quick. You do. You got to be quick on the draw, but you know that's just life, isn't it? Shoot them before they shoot you. It's a good life lesson. Uh, preemptive strike. Quite yeah. Are you American? <laughs> no. <laughs> so uh, yeah, shoot anyone who gets in your way. And then make your way to the star generator. And there's a force field around it, but in one of the aliens that you have killed, I think the one that you dropped the gas grenade on, if you search him, you'll find a force field controller. Ah, that's it, yeah. And you just need to push the button on that to turn the force field off. And then if you look at the star generator, there's a panel on it, and you need to type the self-destruct code into it, which is what, Stephen? Uh, it is the help... No Hope you wrote it down. Uh, I... Yes, it is five. No. Nope. 
<laughs> Could be here. Um, so, yeah, you do need to write it down earlier in the game. It is 6858. And if you haven't written it down... Oh, so close. You said five. Yeah, but... That's like, it's one of the numbers, but it wasn't in the right place. So? I hope you never play the lottery. <laughs> but I've got the numbers. Yes, but they're all in the wrong place. Hey, come on, I'm working off memory here. <laughs> all right, all right. Fair enough. I'll leave you alone. So once you type it into the star generator, the self-destruct sequence begins, but you need to escape the ship before it blows up. Yes. So we need to find some kind of escape pod. Mm-hmm. How do we do that? Good question. <laughs> no, I... I it's all right. I'll ta- it's all right. No, I'll take us through. It's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if you head one screen to the west and take the elevator, the first elevator you see down, because there's a lot of elevators, obviously, you want to make sure you get the right one. You get out, you walk into another elevator to the right, which you take down to the shuttle launch bay. I think you may encounter another Sarian on your way who you have to blast. Yes, there are two types of enemy, if I remember right. There's the normal bipedal enemy. There is. And then you've essentially got the... um... The spider robots again. In my head, I've got the torture robots from Star Wars. Um, Oh, with the... Oh, yes, no, the spheres with the little um, needle on. Yeah. Yes, I've I've got that in my head. But yes, I think they're spherical enemies which you have to vaporize either way. And once you get to the shuttle launch bay, you can then get in a shuttle and it will take you away from the exploding ship and it will blow up behind you and you will get a congratulations message at completing Space Quest 1 and saving the day. And that's the ending. It's not the ending though, is it? Well, you tell me. We may think it's ended, but this is very much ripped off Star Wars. If you haven't noticed the theme <laughs> of the Death Star and the killing and the Rebel Alliance and every other bloody reference of the cantina and everything, we are rewarded for our galactic bravery by being, I think, is it a, a golden mop? Oh, okay. Is that like the janitor's reward? Is that congratulations, <laughs> you're a space hero. Here's a golden mop. The janitor's reward. Now, that's a, that's a title. <laughs> <laughs> that's a chapter heading. That sounds like some sort of sick sexual euphemism, and I don't even know what it would be. (laughs) Put it on Urban Dictionary. Oh, God. Okay, so, yes, there's a Star Wars-esque... Celebratory scene. Celebratory sequence in which you are awarded a golden mop for your troubles. Now, in my research, it says in my notes that... um, we are given it by someone who looks suspiciously like the king from uh, King's Quest. Graham or Edward? It would have to be Graham. I didn't notice that. I didn't either, but it's quite difficult when we're still on eight pixels. But yeah, so I suppose when you've got like the moustache and the hair and stuff like that. Well, I would have recognised his adventurer's hat. Uh, I don't think he was. Oh, he gave that up, didn't he? Oh, yeah, he did. He gave it up. So anyway, we're talking about the wrong game here. But uh, yeah, that's the end of Space Quest. Uh, What did you think, Stephen? I really enjoyed it. I absolutely loved the writing. I did too. I had a really good time with it. I sense a buck coming with your appraisal though. Yes, I've already touched on those two. But do you want to go through the point system before I give an actual review? Okay, yeah, let's do the points. I I think that's a good idea. I I tell you what, I'll go through the basic stuff and then I'll touch on some of the bits and pieces we may not have because I, I pretty much told you what we should have shouldn't have done yes okay so like getting a key card looking at a dying man getting the cartridge mm. opening the bay door inserting the card getting a suit get the gadget 
pushing the platform, performing launch sequence. So this is all in the first. You're not going to go through the whole thing, are you? No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, it would be a while. Yes. But there is one part. You can lose points. You can lose points. Oh, you mean you can fail to pick them up? Yeah. No, no. As in you get minus points. Oh, okay. Right. You can actually lose points. There are two sections where you can lose points. Okay. So one is at the very beginning. If you kick one of your dead scientist friends, <laughs> you get you you have minus points. I didn't even know you could do that. <laughs> why? Why would anybody do it? I don't know, but I love the fact that you can. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, can you spit on them? I, I imagine there's a lot of things you can and cannot do. We did not explore this <laughs> enough. Uh, <laughs> Okay, go on. How else can you lose points? Um, it's towards the end when we are armed to the teeth with our gas grenades and our pulsed laser. Okay. You gain points initially by killing a couple of aliens. Yep. But after you've killed, I think, two or three, mm. you start losing points for each person you kill. Oh, boo. Why? Because you're giving yourself away. Mm. That's not as funny as the first reason you lose points. But, say you've got 120 points or something like that, and you yeah. kill 123 people. Can you? You get down to... Pardon? How many people are there to kill? Um. Well... Do they just keep coming? They keep respawning. It is random whether they turn up on your screen or not. And I assume the pulse ray has uh, infinite ammo. Yes. Okay. So if you get down to zero, you then don't get minus points. Now, if you kick one of your teammates while he's dead and you're on zero already, does that actually go into minus? Um, no. you just minus one. Because it's a counter of 154? Okay. No, not 154. The screenshots I'm looking at say 202. Well, you can get over 202 points. Okay. And where are the secret points gained? The secret points are, as I said, um, using the laundry and doing the air vent tricks. Is that the only places that you can get extra points then? Pretty much. I mean, there, there are other bits and pieces. You can talk to a guard. Mm. If you talk to a guard whilst dressed up as a guard, you can answer the guard's questions and he reveals he's a King's Quest 2 fan. Which is a game that the developers worked on, of course. Yes. And you can also kiss the uh, guard, if you so wish. I say. And apparently the kissing of that guard was a Ken Williams thing. You know, I said earlier on in the uh, this cast, he uh, did a few bits to keep himself in. That was one of the bits that he did? Yes. Being able to kiss random crew members of the Sarian ship. There you go. You can't kiss the dead guys at the beginning, can you? I, I imagine you can, but you don't get any points for it. You probably get something from it, but it won't be points. <laughs> so, is there any other uh, interesting trivia regarding points or anything else in the game that you'd like to share? Now, what I forgot to mention when we're in the when we're fighting the Borat, there's a way of being hit by a meteor. Wow! What do you have to do to be hit by a meteor? Just be on the right screen. Just be unlucky. Uh, right, right, up, up, right, right. And then being the slap bang in the centre of the screen and a meteor comes and hits you and you die. I mean, that's going to suck, doesn't it? Especially if you don't have any save features. I mean, it would suck in real life as well. Well, it'd be like that dude from, is it Deep Impact? Or there's that uh, dude with a dog and he just gets hit by a meteorite? I don't recall that. I know the film. 
Uh, do you mean Armageddon? It might be Armageddon. I, they came out at pretty much the same time, and I can't... They did. Yeah, I think it's Armageddon. Great. Yeah, so what did you think? I really enjoyed it. The two bits, the pod racing and the vending machine grind. <laughs> yeah, they did drag it down, but... Once it was done with, and the fact that we had saves coming to fall back on helped a lot, and uh, it didn't bother me that much in the long run. I thought it was a very good game. Didn't outstay its welcome. Very amusing, well-written. I liked the sense of humour and the uh, comedy that it put into it. Yeah, I very much enjoyed it. I would have liked to have grown up in this era, because I would have obviously played it and probably be somewhere in my late teens because then i would have been able to get the good amount of references whereas despite being born in the mid 80s some of these references are of its time and went a bit above your head yes and i'm not that bad i'm actually quite good at picking up popular culture references so i reckon i would have really dug this game back then Yes. But I wouldn't have been able to finish it because I wouldn't have been able to save Scum. I don't have the reflexes and I generally don't have the patience. But back then, it's not like today when you've got 500 unplayed games in your Steam library. This might be the only game that you had for six months. Yeah, that's true. And you would just play and play and play and play it and find all the little details and try so many things in it that you would... um, Well, you'd get through it, but also I think you'd get a lot more out of it in terms of all the little details they put in and random stuff that you could type in. Whereas we obviously just had to blast through it in a couple of days, really. It's a game that maybe would reward banging your head against it for six months. Well, I think that they all were, which is why they ended up making games a little bit more user-friendly. Yeah, I think the tropes of the genre were very much rooted in text adventures, so a lot of the humour and everything comes from the writing, Yes, which is what I liked about it. Whereas, I think, as adventure games progressed, it became more visual. Yes, that was very eloquently put. Thank you. So, that's essentially about it, really, for Space Quest. If you have any comments, feedback, suggestions, or you just want to tell us that we're wrong, then please do get in contact with us. Um, You can reach us at AdventurersPod on Twitter or GraphicAdventurers at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, on YouTube. And yeah, please do subscribe to the podcast. And if you so desire, leave us a five-star review. Next time, we will be tackling, as has been previewed, the travails of Leisure Suit Larry. Yes. So, thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed this. Until next time, my name's Jim, a.k.a. Mr. Spatula. And I am Stephen, a.k.a. The Chef in the Hat. And we have been the Graphic Adventurers. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. Good night. Good night.